0: starting those conversations and we started those conversations already early so we can you know bring the vcs on board with the vision i think that in a couple of weeks when we can show a bit more of the mvp it it would become more tangible for them to see and in a way always comes back at these earliest of stages is what traction you can show right so that's why for us it's so important to you know, be outgoing, going, be speaking, organizing events so people can understand the, the main hook, right? The main value, how we can deliver value already
1: before the, the product is live. And that's what we're focusing. Hello and welcome to the interview. I am Amal Kotak, head of partnerships at Integrated Finance and head of the FinTech Foundation Incubator Program. I'll be your host today for our Founders Diary series, where each episode we have an awesome founder share their entrepreneurial journey to date. In this episode, we have David Contreras from Zero a B2C startup on a mission to take climate action with real and permanent carbon removal. David, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? Hi, Amar. Super excited to, to be here. Thank you for the invite. No, you're very welcome. We're um, super excited to have you as, as part of the FinTech Foundation program and super excited to kind of promote your story a little bit more. So, the, the first question I want to ask is, why have you decided to become a fintech founder? What, what what led you to this moment in your life? Well, it's been
0: a long time coming, I think. You know, my background is actually uh, engineering and really linked to one of the worst <laughs> industries out there, industries, which is uh, fossil fuels. You know, for so long I was working, exploring... Hydrocarbons, or helping people explore for hydrocarbons, and for many, many years, I was feeling guilty, uh, feeling like you know, was in the wrong side of history. Uh, And really, why becoming a founder in fintech, in particular, it was just a bunch of exploration on how my skills could help others like me that were feeling that sort of anxiety about the climate emergency. Uh, And what best way to implement climate action or encourage people to take action. Uh, And I think that the fintech layer and the fintech tech stack can actually uh, be used to leverage that, to encourage people to know their footprint, their data, and how they can actually do something, understanding that, that impact, uh, and basically Act on how they can reduce their emissions, and going a step beyond. And we will talk about this a bit later. But how they can actually remove part of that footprint. So that's how we go into into the fintech. It's sort of a looking at ways to uh, just spread the word, and encourage people to to you know do more for the environment. And I think that fintech
1: or the climate fintech space is is quite a good way to do it. That's interesting. How can you judge a person's climate footprint, or how are you planning on calculating a customer's or an individual's carbon footprint?
0: Yeah. I mean, the whole last two or three years has been an increased amount of uh, interest and focus from the venture capitalists or the way to startups, uh, looking at the carbon space. So there's something, a huge space called carbon accounting, a lot of people looking at how to decarbonize the business side, we are at Sea to Earth interested in empowering people to know what the carbon footprint is, right? So every single action that, that we do, you know, in our lives, you know, the way we shop, the way we travel, the way we heat our homes, everything has an associated ecological slash uh, carbon footprint, right? And I think that a lot of people know about it uh, I would say the most people really don't actually are that informed uh, and there is a lot to say about you know providing them with that data, uh, you know, and that can be done by different ways, different surveys that you can give them, so they can know their baseline. So to give you a number, uh, the average UK citizen has a, a footprint annually of ten tons of CO two, and that may vary. Depending on how much you travel in particular, depending on how much meat you consume, how you power your home, are you using renewables versus, you know, natural gas? Uh, and there are a lot of people in particular, the young generation, you know, the Gen Z, the millennials that are really keen on, on sustainability. They're actually using their, their wallets, their money to actually uh, spend money on green areas and, Knowing this footprint is actually quite a useful indicator for them to say, well, actually, I can reduce my footprint in this area. Maybe I can take the train instead of, you know, taking uh, an airplane to go to to Europe. Uh, Or they can, you know, it's a a matter of implementing sustainable habits that they don't have to be painful or they don't have to be more expensive even to, you know, reduce their footprint and uh, help on the fight against climate
1: change. I mean, that sounds like a a super powerful initiative. I guess, is the basic concept then based upon a customer's current spending habits and making them aware of this is your carbon footprint on a daily or weekly, yearly basis, and then providing them the information on how they can then individually look to reduce their carbon footprint? In a nutshell, at Sea to Earth,
0: what we want to become this is our macro vision. We want to become a super, a climate super app where, yes, that data that you just described from the transactions and the way, you know, spend-based uh, carbon footprint, they can see in dashboards, as you mentioned, maybe after every transaction or, you know, a summary per, per week or, or per month, they will see, hey, these are all the categories of how I consume and what that translates into, you know, carbon uh, so they can th- then take, you know, maybe corrective or preventive actions to say, well, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm just consuming too much red meat. Understanding that actually red meat is one of the biggest contributors of, of carbon emissions in the world because of what it means to produce meat. You know, it's so in- intensive in terms of emissions, in terms of actually methane output, in terms of water resources, etc. So it's giving them that information, that data, and then not just to say, hey, within this climate super app that we're building, you can, par- you can uh, actually partner with some of our alliances that we're building to, let's say, if you want to reduce your footprint, let's say you can switch to an alternative uh, green energy provider or you can switch to a green neobank. Actually, the bank element is really important. And they reduce the emissions. But there are always gonna be an element of residual emissions that are almost impossible to reduce and that applies also to to businesses. And that's why we go a step beyond where we want to offer our customers subscription plan where they can remove the rest or you know, part of the footprint, they can remove it with permanent carbon removal solutions that can lock the CO2 for hundred years. Or millennia, even right? Because we can discuss why. I mean, there's a whole climate math of why that's important. It's not only reducing.
1: Now we're at a stage of emergency that we need to remove as well. And it's that um, that scary countdown clock we have, right? Um, which says we're now a few seconds to to uh, to the cutoff or the the cliff of when it becomes irreversible. So, talk us a little bit more. Um, we might be getting a little sciency here, but about how that permanent carbon carbon removal will work, um, and how zero plan to fund it with their client subscription based model. Yeah,
0: not happy to do so. Uh, so there are several methods. They are biochemistry based, they are biological, They're electrochemical. I mean, you, we can nerd no out about this, but essentially there are all these different methods that more or less are more proven or are the others where there is a bit more uncertainty of for how long they're going to sequester this carbon or how you're going to measure it. But there are a couple of methods that are fairly proven and we're going to source the credits that uh, are associated to a a, a a ton of carbon removed from a partner of us, which is located in Finland, which is called Pure Earth. Uh, they're basically a carbon registry where we buy the credits from them, and basically we sell these credits to so our users and retire them for them. So basically, we know that that the removal happens and that is sequestering, and, you know, the carbon uh, for you know at least hundred years, if, if not more. I can give you a couple of uh, examples. There's something called biochar, which is basically excess biomass, you know, for agricultural or or waste residual. Uh, and this and this uh, material basically is incinerated heated up at really high temperatures and that becomes a really dense type of almost a charcoal type of material that then you know you you can measure it it's sequestering the carbon basically all trees or rest of trees becomes carbon and then you can use these pieces of carbon it's called biochar and you can spread it into fields and that has the co-benefit of actually improving the the health of the soil and actually that you can sell it as well. So those are the type of methods and then you can go as edgy as as you want. For example, there are now companies in the UK here that are actually growing uh, algae farms and those algae, when they're growing and they grow really fast, they're also, photosynthesis, right? When they grow, they also hold carbon and the idea is when they grow to a really maximum level, you can actually just drop them into a, anoxic space, aka the seabed, where they're going to actually stay permanently stored by just the, the lack of oxygen. So you can keep them there as as you would find a, a shipwreck, you know, that after hundreds of years, it's still the same, you know, like a pirate boat in the middle of the ocean. The same way you can store algae carbon like that, right? And then all other elements are really edgy. You know, there are giant vacuum machines that can remove carbon from the atmosphere, et cetera. So we want to partner with all those startups that need funding, that, that need the early signal for the market. And we want to, you know, show our users, hey, guys, you can make the difference. You can support this
1: type of technologies. That's amazing. I mean, I guess on the subscription level, it's easy as an individual to be like, hey, this is how I can contribute. Do you think on the carbon accounting level, there's an element of trying to, it's a behavioral change that you're trying to work towards, right? Um, do you ever think that, and, and and maybe from my perspective, if I see my carbon output and I'm like, oh my God, it, it's so much, do you think that people will just prefer ignorance as bliss kind of thing sometimes? like, How do you overcome those barriers for people who have the guilt but don't? but don't necessarily want to be shamed by the level of their carbon footprint.
0: Yeah, no, excellent question. I think that our worst enemy us, as a society really is the status quo, you know, like you just do and live your life and it's just business as usual. And, you know, those really hard behavioral changes are by, by nature, per nature, they're really tough to, you know, to change, right? So what we want people is to see that some of those changes don't have to be as painful. And one of the ways that we want to encourage people to take action is by rewarding them. You know, I think that it's just human psychology, right? I think that people are more inclined to do something positive or a change, you know, especially if you go to the gym. So that's just, just a simple a gym. Maybe you go more often to the gym if you kind of Mentally, you say, well, maybe I can have a little chocolate after after the end, right? Because I work really hard. The same way, we want to encourage people to have a little chocolate at the end with a green perk or a green discount with some of our partners. You know, we want to collaborate with as many green, sustainable, planet-friendly companies, let's say a Patagonia, you know, Apparel, or, you know, someone that is building or installing heat pumps. We want our users... To do the right thing, contribute for the right cause, carbon removal. We want to reward them for that, rewarding them for the emission reductions that they have. And then they can actually have their chocolate, their little nudge and say, hey, you did a really good job. Go and have a 10, 20% discount on this green service. So that's why we want to be a super app. You know, We want to partner with people that have this deep decarbonization, while at the same time working on
1: the removal part. I mean you've clearly thought about it the vision seems to be there and the way to entice users is is clearly been thought of in terms of your journey to date like how has that been going how far along the path are you are you getting close to an mvp stage are you in the market where are you now
0: We're currently uh working on mvp so we will be launching hopefully in four months time so today's first of march uh you know by uh, June, July will be live, which is very exciting. Uh, and the idea is, you know, Addison and and this exercise, thank you for the, for the invite is just to spread the word, right? So we're being outgoing there so people can learn about us and working as, as a normal startup, right, pulling all the cords to build the momentum, build the products, uh, fundraising all while, you know, keeping the, the. The light sun, you know, it's it's very exciting. It's it's scary it's sometimes, uh, but we're very very excited about the mission, and
1: we're getting really good feedback as well. That's great. And in terms of the fundraising and the feedback, I mean, it's a challenging environment to to raise funds in. We've spoken to a lot of startups recently, um, and a lot of founders. How have you been finding it? Considering you're in an area that is. Closely monitored at the moment, like climate action and becoming green and saving saving the planet is a, is still a hot topic uh, as it has been for the last few years. Have you found that, given the space you're in, there's still the funding available from VCs and and general investors?
0: Uh, the, definitely, the kind of the investment base uh, it's similar to other sectors has has a slowdown. But the climate tech as a whole uh, hasn't been as badly affected, I would say. There is, you probably have heard this a couple of times, there's a lot of dry powder in the ecosystem, although there is definitely more due diligence, which I would argue it's good. It's good. It was definitely needed. But its we were very hopeful, you know, we are you know, riding on a huge macro trend in terms of you know, carbon accounting. What the young generations are feeling. Definitely understanding. You know, these problem baselines, etc. All the way to open banking. We can talk about a bit about, about open banking. But the, the the signals are clear. Now it's just a matter of you know starting those conversations, and we started those conversations already early, so we can you know bring the VCs on board with a vision. I think that. In a couple of weeks when we can show a bit more of the MVP, it, it would become more tangible for them to see. Uh and in a way, always comes back at these earliest of stages is what traction you can show, right? So that's why for us it's so important to you know be outgoing, be speaking, organizing events so people can un- understand the, the main hook, right? That the main value, how we can deliver value already before the the product
1: is live and that's what we're focusing at the moment. Good. I mean it's it's a great space and I'm sure like you said there's there is a lot of dry powder out there waiting to be deployed. And um, you mentioned you, you the journey can be scary at times. Do you want to touch upon what part of being a, a startup founder is scary and how you how you overcome those periods of, of fear or, or challenge. Yeah,
0: I mean, scary, I would say, quote, unquote, right? There are definitely other areas of life that can be more scary. The good thing is that with my two other co-founders, we are not afraid. It feels scary in terms of, well, there are so many things that you need to figure it out at the same time. And there's just that many hours during the day. So it's like, okay, well, how many hats we can wear? And we're wearing all the hats that, that we need to. Uh, scary in terms of, yeah, we want the launch and we want to kind of back engineer that by the day of the launch, you want many users, hopefully using this subscription-based climate action, uh, and it's sort of, maybe that's a bit of it's imposter syndrome and say, wow, well, are we the right people? Uh, we, we definitely believe we, we are, but, uh, it, it's, it's that right. It's like proving to ourselves. And to others that maybe ha- have not kind of believed in the vision, it's like, hey, this can happen, and this is going to be a hopefully a, a game changer. I think we want to motivate millions of people, I- I- if possible, to you know act on this. And then hopefully, or maybe I can comment a bit of the strategy after our B two C uh, format. Or, is how the sustainability or the action itself can become. A gigantic perk, if you want, or a gigantic motivator for businesses. You know, so we w- we have already roadmapping how we can start offering to our, our to to B two B, basically be, uh, to the businesses, how they can engage their own employee base by giving them, you know, a subscription to Ciro as a perk. They can have, you know, the sustainability, the engagement, that kind of rewarding experience of their actions themselves and then get a bit more motivated on whatever sustainability uh, initiatives they have also in their own companies, right? So we want to challenge them. We want to, we, we can create different gamification approaches where people in their own units, in their own business uh, branches, etc., they can compete and, re- and be rewarded for, hey, you know, finance is reducing carbon in here more than this other. So we, we're thinking about that, that area. I think that it's kind of, underexplored right now in the in their kind of barric
1: sort of industry. So I guess you always need to think about long-term how to expand the reach more than just going after each individual person, but how can you capture groups of people at the same time? And I guess from an employee or employer standpoint, that, that makes a lot of sense. I actually want to just go back to something you mentioned though a second ago was um and it's something we hear a lot from founders that we speak to it's imposter syndrome that mm. there's an element of self doubt that creeps in along the journey of like you said am i the right person to be solving this why me do i have the right skill set um and it's an, it's always an interesting one to understand the thought process that people go through when they're having these feelings and thoughts how would you or have you overcome that feeling of imposter syndrome and do you think it's helpful having co-founders with you that you can talk these thoughts and processes through with to kind of remove those elements of self doubt that always creep up along the way of building a company
0: yeah, absolutely i think that even being within the integrated finance you know incubator is also helpful to talk to other founders and talk to people that are going through the same journey as you, to so compare notes, right? And, and say, Hey, how do you deal with this? How, how do you overcome this, this kind of barriers? Because it's all, it's all mental, right? It's all in, in your mind and, and how you can actually sometimes maybe talk to, to yourselves positively, like, Hey, you're going to figure it out. So you, maybe you don't know about this accounting thing or, or this other kind of tech stack, but you just. I think that people sometimes underappreciate uh, the curiosity. I think that once you kind of set yourself an outreach a, a, a goal it's like, Hey, you know, we're going to deep dive into this and we're going to talk to all the experts. And, you know, even we don't know from the beginning and that's happened to us, you know, that Danielle and I, for example, we really got fascinated by this whole carbon removal industry, which. You know, it's a nascent ecosystem. There aren't that many industries that you can say it needs to grow a million times from now to 2050. And we just started talking to experts, listening to this and listen to podcasts, interviewing people, and, and then you start kind of convincing yourself. Well, actually, I, I know quite a bit. <laughs> you know, it's building brick by brick your conviction, your conviction that, yes, you're going to master something, and those that you cannot master, you know, having the humility as well to say, well, maybe my co-founder can fill in the gaps. And hopefully at some point, once we start, you know, uh, raising the round, maybe making some key hires of those keys that we may not have in the team yet, right? But but we can, you know, with with some budget, we can allocate to other experts, for example. So that's that's all the plan, right?
1: It's like high conviction, confidence, but at the same time, humility. (laughs) And do you think you would have started this if you were on your own if Danielle wasn't with you no i don't think so i think that it's always good to
0: be in the journey with someone obviously we have a third co-founder sanjay is, is with us from, from switzerland uh he's also been great and he has a wealth of experience as well so i feel the three of us are quite complementary in terms of you know the the Strategy, the the base business development, sales. Daniel, for example, is really good at operations and keeping us tidy and having the processes and and such. Is more kind of the the tech stacky and and the sort of the CTO hat for for the moment, right? Uh, so I think that we're quite complementary, uh, but we know also our limitations. You know, in terms of our B two C approach, we know that we need to partner with certain areas or kind of. Uh, go to market with people that have done that in the past, or maybe you know par- par- partner to basically send the message across with the other organizations as well. So we're looking
1: into that as as you speak. Nice, so, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting you say that you probably wouldn't have started this on your own, and we hear that a lot in that not only from VCs who prefer a a combination of founders to have specialities or specialisms in in different business areas, but also from other founders who find the pressure is off or reduced, some, maybe somewhat when you, there's other people you can rely on, right? It's not everything on you. And, and you mentioned that being a startup founder, there's, it's a mental game as much as anything, right? To handle the pressure and being able to lean on or rely on your peers. And you um, it's such an important factor, I guess between the three of you, when you would have started zero and you would have foresaw like the challenges that may come as you progress to sign a company, what were some things that you've experienced as challenges that you didn't expect when you all sat down at the table and were like, right, let's, let's build this, this awesome company together. A Good one. Well, one of the key challenges
0: that we will face and we are facing to be honest, is that we are all fully remote. So I'm the only one based here in, in London. Uh, Daniel is in Chile and Sanjay is in Switzerland. And that comes with great flexibility. I think we, three of us, I mean, that's all we know, you know, we, Daniel and I actually had worked with an OS startup before, uh, very remote as well. So we know what it means. Uh, but that comes with also setbacks, right? So we have flexibility. We cannot work asynchronously. But there are some times where, you know, being in the same place at the same time brings a lot of, uh, you know, upside, right? In terms of solving something right away, you can just sit or maybe you can, even in terms of the intimacy of being in the same place and just grabbing a beer, you know. We haven't met Sanjay, you know, in person, which is strange, you know. Dalena and I go go back all the way to 20 years ago, but with Sanjay, we don't know him yet. We don't, we don't have that intimacy that we would love to otherwise. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's a matter of understanding those setbacks and try to mitigate them, right? How do you build, even within a, the three of us, a culture that encourages sort of being vulnerable to those like, Hey, I'm going to be full-time sometimes. and taking my kids to, to, to the doctor or whatever so. You know, you work a bit later during the night, for example. Uh, So, yeah, there are ways where we we try to make the most out of it. Hopefully,
1: at some point, we can open the the office here in London. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) I bet. I mean, the fact that you've started a business with someone who you've never met in person is is so extraordinary and only something that's probably started to happen a little bit more often in the last few years. and, And like we talked about, like we likely talked about the remote culture that's growing a little bit more it's an interesting topic because there's been a lot of companies in in the news recently who are moving back to either fully office-based work or at least a hybrid model and trying to get people in two or three days a week and there's obvious benefits with both i mean obviously like you said you get the intimacy of and the instant access to people to bounce ideas off the walls but then you lose some of the flexibility which people crave do you think People ever go back to fully five days in the office, or do you think uh, remote slash hybrid approach is kind of where the industry or the markets will move towards?
0: Yeah, I've seen I've seen some of the headlines, obviously from Elon Musk, for example, <laughs> with with his type of culture. I would say that the hybrid is is here to stay. You know, I think that a lot of employees after COVID now see it as a kind of something that they're entitled to. Which is not the the right way of saying it, but a lot of forward thinking employees they can see the benefits. You know, Mm -hmm. they can see probably the retention. They can see all the kind of soft um, improvements or soft kind of upside when people are can also have a better life work balance, right? When or without compromising kind of the outputs. I would be in the in the camp of you know two days. to in, in the office would be actually optimal because you, yeah, I, I miss it myself. Right. So I've been in <laughs> at home for quite a bit and I miss that, that kind of interaction, that sort of, if it's just friendly banter, but especially about the serendipity of having random connections and, and what can happen from, from, you know, the chat with, with your colleague, right, that. Maybe you can also structure it in a remote setting, but it's harder. You know, how do you... I mean, there are ways to do it that they actually startups, the of course, or, or that's serving that that problem. But uh, yeah, it's harder to kind of implement in a way.
1: No, I, I think I agree with that. I mean, especially when you're a young company and you're adding new team members to the mix, to really get them up and running and get them to speed. You kind of need to be together so they can just absorb information and knowledge right whilst other people are talking and i think that's super super beneficial but i think you also said i mean employees now they they have options right there's still loads of companies that will offer remote work and and so it's it's good for those who need that flexibility but i think yeah i think there's gonna be a shift probably towards a hybrid model and people like maybe myself or yourself who enjoy the office culture and coming in and getting out of the house i mean it's good for everyone right uh if they find the right solution, everyone and every company will be different, I guess. Okay. Just so we've obviously talked a little bit about your background, and you, know, you started as an engineer in in the, the fossil fuel industry. You're now looking to correct maybe a not necessarily a mistake, <laughs> but um, looking to kind of tip the scales maybe back back the other way to helping kind of clean up the climate. And we've talked about some of your challenges and that you've experienced or that you're experiencing in terms of building a company that's remote with a founder you've never necessarily, we haven't seen him met in person yet. Where do you think the challenge has been for you specifically in trying to build a fintech product that you maybe didn't expect? Well, it's funny because personally, I, I am
0: new to the space. Uh, I think that the huge value the IF for example, integrated finance does is that it exposes you to the different kind of players in the ecosystem, which is a fantastic way to really absorb. And this incubator has helped us absorb, you know, what the different connections and APIs that you can integrate to actually go to market faster. uh, And with that sort of stamp of quality and and regulatory kind of framework. So we've learned a ton uh, already. Yeah, it's been been fantastic in in that sense.
1: Well, I'm very glad you you feel that way. But was there anything when you were like, well, I want to add an embedded payment or an embedded fintech um, Mm. product to my mix? And when you were drawing the product out on a piece of paper and you're like, yeah, this should be easy. I mean, it's nothing too complicated. Mm. Is there anything that surprised you at how much harder it was than you maybe expected it could be or should be? Mm -hmm. I
0: think that really understanding the landscape and, you know, the, the KYC elements or in particular, what regular regulations we had to kind of tick the box with, uh, yeah, we we thought that potentially could be maybe more cumbersome, actually, with the help of some of the partners, you start the risk in some of the elements and implementations. So that has been quite useful. Uh, One of the key things that we want to do is, you know, tap into open banking and with the transactions that you can get via open banking from our users, debit and credit cards, you tap into a carbon accounting provider. So we want to implement that smoothly and sort of understanding what type of data that comes with and how you actually need to create just a smooth, you know, UI and UX for your end user there. It's key, right? So that's what we're navigating now and trying to put it into into the place to, to make sure that, you know, when we go live, it's great and it's a good experience
1: for people, right? I feel like this data is crucial for them to, to see and act on climate. I think so. I mean, it's interesting you talk about UI, UX and making it easy for people. The one thing I've always noticed is I don't know if you use Skyscanner to book flights. Um, yeah. They have this relatively new feature where they tell you which flight is more greener than another flight and you how much maybe carbon or co2 you'll you'll save by choosing this flight and i think it's definitely a factor i look at when i'm looking at flights that have the same price or at similar times and what i'm considering i'll be like i'll try and nice. just gently move towards like a, a greener i want to say relatively greener flight and i think those little user in user in interfaces or UX uh, features that people build can make marginal difference. That's a big difference over time by an element of marginal gains every day. right? And I guess that's uh, an important factor to consider when building a product such as yours. You don't want to overwhelm an individual or throw too much information at them and kind of turn them off the product too early on. You want to keep them coming back and learning and educating themselves bit by bit by bit. And making those small incremental changes, as we discussed, that are easier with with than maybe the rewards at the end of it, the little chocolate. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think that is is just key.
0: You know, at the end of the day, we don't want anyone to feel guilty about how they're living their lives. You know, we all have our habits. We all live, you know, because of our histories, where we are, so types of way to have options. Uh, what we want is to use the right information at the right time, so people. Understand how they're living, you know, and how they can just, with little notches, see that the positive change that the world needs, that the massive carbon emission reductions, don't have to affect them. doesn't have to be more expensive and doesn't have to be like a a pain to actually go and shift their their behaviors. So we want to encourage them to, you know, see the other option, see that it actually may save money, and they might actually be happier, you know, just like in the train versus a long flight
1: to to, to Paris, for example. You know, that, that sort of thing. And do you think people are ready to make these changes? Do you think the world's ready for this? According to a couple of, of surveys,
0: yes. Especially depending on where you are in the world, right? I think that Europe is way more advanced in terms of climate awareness, even that the U.S., although U.S. Is, is catching up a bit on, on Canada. Uh, but in, in particular, the, the the EU and the U.K. are really demanding green options. Despite even the cost of living crisis, you know, people are demanding and, and looking at, you know, how their purchases and their money and even the banks. I mean, there's a new wave of people that say, hey, you, you know, I don't want to bank with a, a big traditional banking, because look what's happening with my money, you know, they're actually fin- financing, uh, polluting industries or, you know, or gambling or whatever. People are actually choosing now other type of options where they see the positive t- change, right? They see also the eco levels and they're being more educated on what those mean and try to be more wary or greenwashy claims, right? Because that's another huge problem. So, so yeah, I think definitely it's the right time the right moment to to kind of encourage people for for more of this
1: well i hope so i mean it only takes one to make the dominoes four right i mean it there's always going to be early adopters in the space and hopefully we're at that point and then hopefully zero is the is the gateway to mass adoption and everyone making small incremental changes for the benefit um David Lodi it's been great to have you today. Um, for my last question, I normally ask people, if you weren't a founder, what would you do? But as you're a founder, that question <laughs> doesn't really resonate. So my question to you is, if you weren't a founder of app, what would you be doing in your life at the moment? Oh, gosh. Uh
0: Well, you know, last year was interesting. So I struggled with this decision quite a bit. Like, I was in the midst of, a venture capital program for underrepresented uh, folks. I highly recommend it. By the way, it's called Included VC. And for a couple of months, I was like, "Yeah, I love the venture capital industry. I love climate tech. I want to help founders and go through the motions of what be- means a VC and how they think, how they structure the portfolio, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I just became more and more intrigued. But actually, being a founder, you know, and I saw the potential that maybe right now, as a founder, I may have way more impact than as a junior VC or a, a, even an associate VC, you know, that has a small kind of decisions in a larger form fund. And I decided that that was sort of the decision that you know tilt the balance. It's like gosh, in terms of impact, if I I'm even. uh average, uh, average uh, successful on this uh, on this endeavor, on this mission, you know, we can create jobs and we can, you know, hopefully remove thousands and thousands of tons of CO2 out of the atmosphere, right? So that was, you know, sort of convinced me, you know, you know I need to try this. If it's on me, someone else is gonna do it. <laughs> so I had to go all in and I have luckily the support of my two co-founders, my, my advisors, my wife, You know, big shout out for her because she has to really, yeah, (laughs) go through a lot of
1: things with me on this. Well, just like it's said, where people say it takes a village to raise a baby, it takes a village to grow a company, for sure. Totally. Well, David, thank you very much for joining us today on the FinTV podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you and learn a little bit more about ZeroWare. Hey, Cameron, and congrats on on your
0: work on the IF. It's been really helpful.